Uh, welcome back to the Cold War Show. Uh, don't have time for that today. Uh, Papa Bear, yeah, um, haven't heard much from you uh, lately. You've been quiet. What's going on? I thought you might have uh, slipped slipped out the back door. <laughs> no, honestly, I've been instead of I, yeah. trying to slip in my back door, which is what you do when I'm drunk. But anyway, yeah, what? I, t- I take <laughs> where you been? A, I take advantage of things. Like, no, I've been mourning um, a loss. We went to the beach, had a pretty good time. I mean, my goal is to do nothing, so it's not like I can fuck that up. Um, did nothing, however, somehow all our dirty clothes were left somewhere near the beach, near the house. So if anybody finds a plastic bag with dirty underwear and a David Bowie shirt, oh. if you could reach me, oh. that would be great. How yes. dirty? How I'm dirty are they? Oh, like, oh. We I mean, I'm not bragging, but it's pretty, pretty dirty. There's some lube. Wait, what? <laughs> encrusted? I'm not sure we're, we're talking, talking encrusted? About <laughs> are, are they dirty like enough Monica that Lewinsky's if you... Dress. If you... Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you took a piece of clothing out of the bag and threw right. it against a wall, <laughs> oh, would it slide sick. down no, or... No. or would yeah. it stick? Would it slide down, or would it slide down and then slowly start to crawl back up again? Probably, probably that. And again, I'm not bragging. It's just the life I lead. But yeah, so some of my some of my favorite shirts, my favorite shorts, my yeah. underwear. I don't have favorite underwear because I rarely wear it. But yeah, somehow I got left behind, <laughs> and uh, I pull a Kramer, you know, Commando. But. We, we, I literally, well, you know, I, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to find it's hard to find underwear that goes with the arseless chaps that you like to wear. <laughs> True, around. especially made in China. I called the uh, real estate agent and I had them uh, the whatever you call it, the beach house people, and I had them go through the trash in case someone had put it in the trash because they were in a trash bag. Uh, alas, mm. it was it was not. So vacation was good, but there were casualties along the way, and I guess that's the that's the price you pay for. Spending time at the beach. Mm. Mm. Oh, well. So uh, you week? went on vacation for the last mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Now you're mm-hmm. back, and then you're going, yeah. on, you go, you're going yeah. on vacation again next week. Yeah. Do you, you want to know what I'm doing? I figured it out. I'm pulling a Tony. I'm pulling a Tony. Just <laughs> drop everything yeah, you, off to you, you, go for, Just go pull, somewhere. Pulling yeah. a Tony. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, 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 but Tony's rich. Um, <laughs> what's 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 your excuse? Um, credit cards that I have no intention of paying back. I I don't know. I haven't worked it out. I haven't worked out the second. I'll be half. dead before I have to pay this back, suckers. <laughs> Who's gonna Look at my cholesterol left? levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll show them. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. All right, let's get into yes. uh, talking yes. about uh, the thing that we are here That's to right. talk about. But before we get into that, I, I just read a story that I only heard about the first time this morning, Cold War related, that we'll right. get to uh, in in our timeline probably, I'm guessing, three years from now. Um, <laughs> did you know that in 1959, when the Soviet Union surprised the United States by launching Sputnik, um, the uh, United States came up with a plan not to land on the moon, but to nuke the moon. Moon. Oh, uh, nuke, nuke the moon. <laughs> it's hard to say. I find that difficult to say. This is how they want to nuke the moon. Okay. Nuke the nuke. moon. We will nuke. <laughs> I've we, heard of shoot the Kennedy's speech, well, it takes on a whole different meaning when you read this story. Project A119, um, Kennedy had his speech ready. We, (laughs) we, (laughs) we do not choose to nuke the moon because it is easy, but because it is hard. We intend to nuke everything on this planet and then we will nuke the moon. (laughs) So park why the car we... in the car park? What? <laughs> why were I don't we going to know? We'll get to it at some point. Okay, that's fine. Because yeah, yeah. well, I think they were worried that the Russians were going to get there first and, and, and it. take it over. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, we have yeah. to, we have to nuke it 
to stop the Russians getting control right. of the moon because there's probably a Nazi base. Right. There's a Nazi base on the dark side of the moon. Right. I knew and it. And they didn't want the Russians to get hold of that. Yeah, teaming up with them. Anywho. Yeah. Sounds plausible. <clears throat> Berlin. Berlin, right? Let's skip. Yeah. We've We've spent the last 10 episodes uh, going deep on the rise of anti-communism in the United States and yes. uh, pointing out my, my intention with that was to help people understand that the the red scares in the 30s, 40s, 50s in the United States wasn't really based on what the Soviets were doing as much as what <laughs> the American government was doing. Uh, but I want to move on from that because we are, we're in the late 40s here. We've got a lot of stuff that we need to cover. Obviously, it's a very busy time yes. um, in the Cold War. Right. And one of the things that we need to talk about is the Berlin blockade and airlift because this may surprise you. It's another one of these things that I mm-hmm. think people don't really understand very well. And it's, it's um, benefited, in a way, from a lot of... U.S. propaganda over the last 70-odd years. And consequently, people in their heads, they have one version of events. And really, it may not closely align with the the real version of events. Or maybe it will. We'll we'll find out. You tell me, being the the, the token American on this show. (laughs) Um, uh, The deal. Uh, my my wife and I were my wife and I were talking about you last night, uh, oh, late at night, and we we realized that your foreplay. We realized that you are, yeah. you. <laughs> it was actually. Um, <clears throat> we realized that uh, you 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 are my Andy Richter. You are Andy oh. Richter to my Conan O'Brien. Okay. I said to her, because I, I, I haven't watched a lot of Conan. Um, right. she, she's been a big right. fan of Conan for 20 years. I, I said, what's what's Andy's, I said, what's Andy Richter's job, really? What's the job of the sidekick <laughs> on a show like that? She said, well, he just, he doesn't say much, but every now and again he throws out a right. funny line. Check. Um, and he gives, and, 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 and it enables Conan to give the impression that he's mm-hmm. got a friend and he's talking to his friend rather than just talking to himself. And I was like, holy Check. shit. So what you're That's saying it. is Andy Richter is Conan's Ray. Yeah, I'm good. And I said, oh, my God, that all makes sense now. Ray's my Andy Richter. She said, motherfucker, I told you that years ago. He's your Andy Richter. You don't pay attention to I was like, oh, really? Yeah. May I say, well, may I say, yeah. you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, sure. Um, so... Anyway. 1948. Yes. Obviously. The uh, Soviet Union put up a blockade around West Berlin, became one of the most symbolic moments in the early stages of the Cold War. It was the, it was like the Cuban Missile Crisis of the day. It's one of the things that people, I think, in the West, we think about the Cold War, we, we think about, um, I don't know, the... the President, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. We think about the right. wall. People, I think, maybe conflate the wall with the blockade and airlift, and of course, they're different things, um, which we'll explain. They think about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but the the Berlin blockade, East Berlin, uh, very symbolic of the Cold right. War. But as I said before, I think the 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 story behind actually what happened, yeah. It's probably a little bit more interesting and, and complex than most people uh, assume or have or gathered through osmosis from the Western media over the last seven years. I, I know I was when I when I first oh, read yeah. about. It, I was like, oh, okay, that's yeah. that's not uh, that's not how I thought it went down or what happened. So I'm looking forward to telling this uh, side of the story. Well, if I may, real quick, as the resident American. I know what happened. I know the facts. And if you don't like the facts, you can get the hell out of this podcast. All right? I know as an American. <laughs> go back to the go back to my own country. Yes. Oh. Go back. Yes. Well, actually it's not even yours. Well, have you, you, know that you took it from the um <clears throat> from the natives there, but we don't have to go into that. I'm a white man, Ray. All countries are my country. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Touche, my friend. Touche. Yeah. 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 Destiny. It is our destiny as white men to rule the world. Okay. Um, 
here's a description just speaking about uh, sort of the, the, the common perception and sort of the propaganda around the Berlin blockade. Here's a description of it from a recent article right. that I came up uh, came across. It's on the Royal Air Force's Center for Strategic and Conceptual Thinking hmm. on Air, Space and Cyber Power. Right. Or as I like to call it, the Rafkuskatiskup <laughs> site. They wrote In the early months of nineteen forty eight, Britain, the United States and France became frustrated at Soviet obstructionism over economic reform in Germany, which theoretically required all four powers' agreement. Mm -hmm. The Western allies determined to introduce reforms, including currency reform, in the Western zones with or without Soviet agreement. The Soviets, recognising an economic and political threat to their position in Germany, instituted a blockade of land routes into Berlin. The Allies used air power to airlift supplies to a city of 2.5 million people isolated in the middle of the Soviet zone. Short of an act of war or the airlift failing, as Soviets expected it would, the Soviets could not prevent the aerial relief operation and were eventually forced to concede defeat in the first serious clash of the Cold War. Ooh, yeah. So there's a couple of words that jump out to me in that paragraph. Obstructionism. They, the, the Allies became frustrated at Soviet obstructionism. Was it was really obstructionism? Were the citizens of West Berlin really isolated? Um, well, that, we're going to find out. Right. Um, but there, there is one great quote in this article I read. Um, in the beginning, God created <laughs> heaven and earth. Then he created the Berlin airlift to cure keen pilots of their sinful desire to fly aeroplanes. Wow. That was by uh, Wing Commander Mick Ensor, Oy. one of the uh, veterans of the airlift, flew 200 airlift sorties. Yeah. Um, so... I think we should start uh, by reviewing the situation in Germany in 1948. Right. We talked a lot in our episodes um, on Tehran and, and Yalta and the Potsdam conferences about the, dis the discussions around Germany and what was going to happen with Germany after the war. And uh, we kind of explained at the time that a lot of the details were left up in the air uh, because yeah. they they kind of ran out of time. Stalin behind the scenes was saying to Molotov, "Hey, don't worry about it. We'll fix it later. It's all good. Have some sh have some vodka. It is something that we will uh, we'll, 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 like when when the war is over, my friend, and they yeah. all go home. We'll be the last people left. What are they going to do about it? <laughs> Stay forever." Um, yeah. Yeah, and 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 this is uh, what he intended. Uh, you know, would happen is it would be sort of it would be it'd get mired in uh, 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 the the inability for the West to progress their own plans. So, um, why don't you explain to me, Ray, as the token American, Andy? I'll just call you Andy. Andy, Andy, why don't you explain to me? The situation that Germany's in in the middle of 1948. I would be happy to. Um, but for a point of comparison, because we've, we've talked about this previously, when Churchill gave his uh, Iron Curtain speech in March of 1946, at the time, there was a poll taken, and twice as many Americans who responded to, to, to this poll said that they were opposed to the United States and Britain militarily cooperating with each other against Russia. However, three weeks after Churchill's very eloquent moving speech, and there were a lot of Americans who were fans of his, um, that had changed significantly. So uh, after uh, three weeks after the speech, 66% of the people were uh, who agreed with Churchill that Russia should not be appeased. And so here's the point. So the Americans, even by March of 1946, know they're going to stand up to the Russians because I think it was Burns and Truman who had already come up with a policy of um, <clears throat> something like patience, being firm but patient with uh, with Stalin. And so they needed Churchill to get the American people on board. So, so you've got that working for them starting in 1946. So you fast forward to the middle of 1948. 
The difference between Europe in 1946 and 1948 is that the politics around Europe, and specifically Germany, have firmed up a lot, and it's not necessarily for the better. The division between the East and the West that you were talking about has certainly become a lot more uh, a lot more realistic, and everybody's learning to live with this new reality. And as you, as we all know, the Western nations of Europe were aligned with the United States. The Eastern nations were lined up with Soviet Russia. But you have to question how much of that was by choice, because there were 1.5 million or probably more than that Soviet troops in Eastern Europe. So you, you have to wonder, but the point is they are now aligned with Soviet Russia, and that's just the way it is. And in the middle of 1948, the two sides were openly calling each other their adversary. They weren't using the word allies or friends or whatever. It was now adversary. And what's the prize in their contest? All of Europe. And so, as you can imagine, Truman's administration starts working to come up with diplomatic and military strategies to hopefully hold the line where it is in Europe. And if that doesn't work, maybe how to fight the next war with this very smart, very shrewd dictator who's got millions of troops under his command, and he doesn't have to worry about public opinion like the Americans and the British and the French do. So that's a very general summation of what's going on in 1948. Oh, nice work. Nice work, Andy. Um, Now, in the... In February of 1948, Mm there had been a communist coup in Czechoslovakia, which further worried the West that all of Europe might Mm. end up in the Soviet economic bloc. And as we've taken pains to explain on the show over the years, the major concern here on behalf of the West is that... uh, a lot of these countries in Europe are going to end up not trading yes. with the West because they're going to be part of the Soviet bloc, and they can't have that. They they, right. they want access to these markets. Um, now, Germany was a major cause of tension. So three years after the end of World War II, formal political status of Germany still up in the air. This yeah. is, as I said before, the result of Stalin's fancy footwork at Yalta and Potsdam. At Potsdam. He thought he could leave Germany's fate loosey-goosey and work it out later after the war, but he didn't count on the bomb. Right. And one of the things that makes a big difference in the the status of Germany after World War II is the bomb. The Americans are oh, holding yes. the bomb, dangling it. Right. They got they got they all they all had like little uh, 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 toys made of the bomb, and they've got them on little chains. Key and whenever chain. they're in front of the Russians, right. they just dangle it, yeah. just dangle it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so what's? Oh, that's just my keychain. No, what a threat! No, 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 no you're, you're, t- you're so paranoid. Yeah, you're so paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> bomb, 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 Moscow. What? I didn't know. I didn't. Boom. No, I didn't say. I was just coughing. Yeah. yeah coughing. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd you like some of that Hiroshima? <laughs> what? Atomic. No. No. Yeah. We, we're, we're peace loving. Um, unlike Japan, obviously, uh, in the situation in Germany, there was no formal peace treaty signed with uh, a defeated government because there was no government, but yeah. it was still. A single single nation in name, but politically the country had been divided into four discrete zones occupied by the four major powers. There was a US zone, UK zone, Soviet zone, and and France got a zone because de Gaulle um, threatened that if they didn't give him a zone, he would keep turning up at their meetings and they were like, oh, fuck, just give him a zone. Will you like, please, we really I'll pay any price, please. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Let's just (laughs) shut him up. They hated him so much. Now, Berlin was located about 110 miles inside the Soviet zone. Oh, yeah. So technically it was surrounded by the Soviet zone, uh, but because of its Symbolic importance as the nation's capital and right. the, the the seat of the former Nazi government. Berlin was jointly occupied by all four powers as well, and it had been divided into four sectors. So it was kind of a weird situation. In order to get, if you were American or British or French, in order to get to your zone of Berlin, you had to go through Soviet territory <clears throat> to get to 
Berlin. Right. Um, and, you know, they, they were all entitled, all the four powers were entitled to privileges throughout Berlin that weren't extended to the rest of Germany. So you could travel throughout Berlin freely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of whether you were American or British. It was including the Soviet sector. It was legally separate from the rest of the Soviet zone, the the Soviet sector of Berlin, right? right? They, they'd come up with special arrangements for Berlin. But in, at Potsdam in uh, 1945, the big three had agreed that the occupation of Germany would only be temporary. They all agreed that Germany would remain a single nation. Right. But the issues that they had to figure out were complex. And, and in all seriousness, that's one of the reasons why they didn't reach any agreement at Yalta or Potsdam is because it was a fairly complex problem. And by 1948, they still hadn't worked it out. Yeah. In fact, by, by the middle of 1948, the idea of whether or not, or the idea that they would ever figure this out was pretty much a, a pipe dream. Um, by the way, do you know yeah. the etymology of that term, a pipe dream? No, tell me. Guess. Where, where do you think dream. it comes from? It's a pipe dream. Yeah. Your dreams are trapped in a pipe and are not going to come true. You're dreaming you're trapped in a pipe and you can't get out. Uh, you're smoking a pipe and you feel like you're in a dream. Um, you dream about pipes. You dream hey, about pipes. That's enough. <laughs> that's, that's enough, Andy. Thanks, Andy. That's probably um, too much. Smoking an opium pipe and oh. having, uh, you, know, hal- okay. you know, hallucinatory dreams. That's what a pipe dream is. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so one of the big questions is whether or not the unified Germany would be capitalist or socialist. This was a big issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it is it going to be part of the Soviet bloc? Is it going to be part of the American bloc? Is it going to remain neutral? Yeah. And if so, what does that look like? Now, the rest of Europe was obviously becoming divided along economic lines. Right. Thanks to the Marshall Plan, which actually became effective April 3rd, 1948, the, mm-hmm. the, the Western countries in Europe were getting tied up into this capitalist economic block through the, the cunning machinations of your countrymen. Thank you. They basically bought themselves hey. uh, Western Europe. Whatever. Tell you what, we'll give you we'll give you a line give you a line of credit, but you have to agree to only buy our shit and right. only deal with us. Deal, deal, deal. great, Done. deal, yeah, deal. Um, and the eastern countries were progressively being locked into social socialist uh, arrangements with the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Germany was piggy in the middle. <laughs> now, neither France nor the Soviet Union wanted a unified Germany. They didn't want a strong Germany. They didn't want a militarily or economically strong Germany for obvious reasons. Germany had just invaded their country, in in the case of the Soviet Union, for the second time (laughs) in uh, 20 years. Right, and for France... Germany had invaded their country. Right, and for France at least three times, because you go back to the Franco-Prussian War, so how could they ever want this country to be united Militarily strong and economically strong. I mean, you're just you're just cutting your own throat. It, it's and I think this is what gets lost for the Americans who grew up post World War II, uh, like me. Uh, you get fed this this message, this American message. They that was a legitimate uh, desire on the part of France and Soviet Russia, but that gets kind of lost in in the entire message. But if we were there back then, yeah, we wouldn't want Germany strong either. I mean, it's. It's obvious now, but that gets glossed over in the message that school children are told after World War II. What do you mean it's obvious now? What's what's obvious? Well, it's obvious now. I mean, if you really stop and you take a look at it and it's been, you know, a good 70 years or whatever, and you can back up and there's a lack of emotion and you weren't born at that time, you you, you didn't personally fear, um, have that fear, you can look back and you can go, well, of course Stalin wasn't going, I mean, and, and you take out morals for a second, of course Stalin wasn't going to release any territory that he grabbed. Why would he? Of course France would not want uh, Germany to be re, uh, reunited and strong. Of course, America was going to come down hard on the Japanese because of Pearl Harbor. I mean, all these things were real um, 
reality back then. But of course, when America starts shaping its version of the Cold War, certain things like this gets lost. But but if you were in that situation at that time, I would be amazed if you felt any differently. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure uh, how well Americans or, or the British at the time understood this from a Soviet perspective or a French perspective. Right. But, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've read quite a bit of the uh, the newspaper coverage of the time, and it gets mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, as we'll see uh, in, I think, maybe the next episode, Stalin went to the length of writing an open letter to Americans that was published in the New York Times around yes. about this time, uh, mm-hmm. sort of explaining some of his concerns. It was very well written. Um but yeah, look, it, as you said before, it makes total sense from a Soviet and French perspective. No, sorry, fuck Germany. <laughs> Germany doesn't Germany <laughs> Germany doesn't get another chance right. at becoming militarily or economically strong. Sorry. Strike two, uh, you're out. You fucked it. Yeah. Yeah. You're done. Yeah, yeah. we yeah, that's it. <laughs> we don't give a shit. Oh, oh, you're hungry? Fuck you. We don't yeah. care. Twenty million. You killed 20 million of our people. Right. Uh, fuck you. Um, go home. Yeah. So that's Stalin's perspective. And again, you know, Stalin takes this personally. I mean, he fought in the First World War. Mm-hmm. Um, then he did a peace treaty yeah. with Germany. Then they invaded his country anyway. Which we know he expected, but he didn't expect them to do it so soon. Right, um, it was and happen. you know, and and uh, so yeah. Look, um, he was like, you know, I just wanted to run my little country, and you know, <laughs> let him. I I just wanted to live in my dasha yeah. and, and, and and purge my couple, purge my generals. Couple of five year plans. Fucked everything up yeah, for yeah, but no, yeah, but no, yeah, yeah. no, no. He had to go and do this thing. So <clears throat> so they wanted to keep Germany weak. Moscow still wanted reparations out of Germany. Yes. Uh, especially because they couldn't participate in the Marshall Plan by design. The Americans right. designed the Marshall Plan deliberately to keep the Russians out, as we've discussed in previous episodes. And then, uh, as hopefully people will recall, the US had reneged on handshake agreements that he'd made with Roosevelt that the the Russians would get loans from America after right. the war to help them rebuild some some form of loans or or, or you know participation in uh, uh, Marshall Plan style programs yeah he'd kind of had a deal or, or you know you're going to let us just take reparations out of Germany yeah he'd kind of had an arrangement a deal with FDR during their chats at Tehran and at Yalta, but then uh, once Truman got in and uh, Jimmy Burns became the Secretary of State, Lucius Clay took over their sector of Germany, all of that kind of fell apart. Yeah. So it's quite a complicated situation, and there's no outcome that could be worse for Stalin than an independent, unified strong, capitalist Germany beyond his control sitting right. on his border. There's yeah. no, no fucking way is he going to let that happen. I mean, uh, how, would he, how would he explain that to his own people? Well, yes, uh, <laughs> 20, Germans killed 20 million of us, but you know what? We're going to let, the, um, uh, let them grow strong and sit on our border again yeah. and be in the capitalist camp. Fuck that. Like, fuck off. <laughs> There's no way. No Wrong. way. That's going to go down. Now, but for Truman, there was a lot of questions as well. He's trying to work out, um, okay, so does Germ- does all of Germany get access to the Marshall Plan or just the parts that we control? Right. And, it, and how, do we, how do we stop stuff leaking into the Soviet zone? Ah. Um, if... if if the if Germany uni- stays unified but is non-aligned to either the capitalist bloc or the Soviet bloc, do we still support the unification of Germany? Do we give it Marshall Plan money then if it's not 
firmly in the capitalist camp and, you know, they signed a deal that they'll only buy shit from us. Um, Do we support the build-up of a new German military so we can pull our own forces out or are we going to keep our forces there for the long term? And if we don't do that, how are we going to protect Germany from being overrun by the the Soviet war machine? So it was... It was complicated for everybody. Um, no one had a clear plan on how this should play out. Right. And this goes back to something you said at the beginning of the show. So with all those questions the Americans have, and Stalin knows exactly what he doesn't want of Germany, all this, these questions that Truman has forces the German question to come to the fore in this new Cold War, at least as far as the United States is concerned. And even though Americans haven't worked out all of the uh, answers, like you said, they, they know basically what they want. They would like Germany to be capitalist. They would like to trade with it. They would like to give it money, but at the same time, lock it into the Marshall Plan so they just do trades with the United States. Because at this point, it already is politically, financially, militarily, everything is a zero-sum game. It doesn't matter that the Cold War is new. The point is the Cold War is here. Everything, you either win or you lose. And it's that kind of extreme views, and on Stalin's part as well, that you can't give anything. You can't afford to lose anything. You can't afford to lose a gesture, uh, any kind of land or anything like that. Everything has become real. Everything has become intense. And the stakes couldn't possibly be higher because if somebody fucks up, we could be looking at World War Three. So secretly, the U.S. had already decided at this stage that a unified and neutral Germany was undesirable from an American perspective. Walter Bedell Smith, the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union at the time, told General Eisenhower, in spite of our announced position, we really do not want nor intend to accept German unification on any terms that the Russians might agree to, even though they seem to meet most of our requirements. Damn. Right there. So, yeah. Okay, so, you know, we, we often hear in that quote I read before from the uh, Air Force summary of Soviet obstructionism yeah. in terms well, of... Uh, uh, reaching a deal on Germany, but secretly, yeah, behind the scenes, the Americans had already decided they weren't going to accept any terms that the Russians would be happy with. Well, I think you have to qualify the obstruction term. Basically, we want Germany united. We want Germany strong. We want Germany capitalist. And Stalin won't give that to us, so he's obstructing. It doesn't matter that he has completely valid reasons why the point is he's not let, and we're going to go into the details of some of the, uh, give some examples later but he and the french to a degree are, are are dragging their feet on a lot of stuff because they don't want it to happen so they are obstruction obstructionist from an american point of view and i guess that's really all that matters by the way uh walter bedell smith or beetle smith mm-hmm. as he was known uh, a couple of years later became the director of the cia and he's the guy that actually turned the cia into a covert operations organization we're going to talk a lot about beetle um over the years it went from just being a, an information service to the president here's what's going on around the world sir right um to covert ops what would you like Beatles, to happen uh, around the world directorship sir? yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah what's next so they decided so the u.s decided to merge the western sectors of germany into a single country and include it in the marshall plan but block the Soviet sector. One of the agreements at Potsdam that was made back in 1945 was that 15% of all the equipment that was dismantled in the Western zones, stuff like chemicals and machine manufacturing industries, things like that, they would be sent to the Soviet zone. And the Soviet zone, in exchange for all of this, would send things from their section, food, coal, timber, petroleum, and stuff like that. Now, 
one of the reasons that the Soviets were asked to give up these particular things was because the Soviets in their zone, and if you look at a map, they had a pretty healthy chunk of Germany. They were kicking out a lot of Germans that were either just criminals, were mentally imbalanced, uh, politically uh, unreliable, and instead of just shooting or killing some of these people... They would kick them out of the Soviet zone, send them to the other zones, causing trouble for the other side, which is what you do for an adversary. And um, so they, so the Western powers needed help feeding these people that were being kicked out. So they were asking the Soviets for some food. So that's great. So in 1946, the Western powers stick to their end of the deal. They start sending stuff to the Soviet zone. But the Soviets, because it's all a game, let's be honest, the Soviets send very little of what they were supposed to to the West, and and they're going to stop after a while. And, of course, this is going to get the American military administrator, uh, Lucius D. Clay, all worked up, and he's going to stop his own transfer. So even as far as May 1946, you've already got some drama going on. So the Americans... And the British are going, we have to come up with something. We have to unite our forces. We have to somehow combat this very difficult customer that Stalin is. And Stalin wasn't even done because the Russians are going to hire some kind of Barry and Stan agency to work up a campaign against the American policy of stopping their shipments and obstructing works, uh, uh, any kind of cooperation in some of the other zones. So right away, Stalin is being a pain as far as the Westerners are concerned. But what he's doing is he's trying to get what he can get for his country. Because like you said, he's still trying to rebuild his country that's been destroyed and they've lost 20 million people. And he's trying to see how far he can push the Americans to get what he need needs to survive and to rebuild his destroyed country. So there's already tension, and the Americans and the British are like, you know, I think we need to coordinate a little bit better to to uh, to somehow face up to Stalin. Yeah, but, I mean, what that version of events uh, sort of omits, too, is mm-hmm. that uh, one of the reasons Stalin, I mean, I'm sure he was playing a game as well, as you said, but one of the reasons they weren't sending food across is because they hadn't got any of the loans from the Americans that they were handshake promised. They were like, okay, you're going to give us a bunch of money so we can rebuild? And they go, yep, 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 all good. And then they went, no, we changed their mind on that. So he's like, well, well, fuck, we... We, we don't have food to spare. We don't have money. We don't have food to spare. We're trying to rebuild. Our people are starving. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I mean, it's half. a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, who was who the first person to renege on a deal? It's hard to say. There was a lot of reneging going on in this period. Um, anyway, basically, it was just a big clusterfuck. You know, getting back to the the version of events that most people are aware of, this Berlin blockade, usually the fault of it is laid at the feet of the the Soviets Mm -hmm. in the West. But the more you dig into it, the more it seems it was quietly triggered by the United States. Um, So by September 1946, the United States announced that the US zone and the British zone would be merged to become Bizonia. Now, I know when you and I were talking during the week, you thought that was a country where everyone was bisexual. Yeah. You got very excited. You wanted to move there. I had to explain, no, no. I had to look all over the map. That's just... Yeah. No, that's just... (laughs) Yeah, that's that's just Seattle. That's called Seattle. You can go to Coffee Seattle. Coffee and buy. You don't have to go gotcha. all the way to. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the starting point of Germany being divided into two countries. Now the Soviets protested this, of course, uh, because the agreement had always been that Germany would remain unified. And any decisions being made about the future of Germany had to be made by all four powers. They had to agree to it. But uh, the US and the UK just said, nah, fuck that. We're, we're going to do our own thing. <laughs> and this is early right. on, September 1946. Right. A, like, the war's only been over for a little over, a little than a year. They announced that this was going to happen. Didn't actually happen until later, but they announced it was going to happen. And the Soviets protested, said, hey, 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 we, we agreed that we would not do anything unless we all agreed. And they were like, nah, right. nah we, we changed our mind on that. 
So it took effect on the 1st of January 1947. The, the British and American zones merged to become by zone. And then in March of 1947, the Truman Doctrine came mm-hmm. out. Um, remind people what the Truman Doctrine says, Ray. What's, what's, what's the quick summary of the Truman Doctrine? Oh, God. Uh, I've just got the Marshall Plan stuck in my head. Um, Truman Doctrine, was that um, protecting the allies of America and their interests? I honestly can't remember. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, close. It was Truman basically said, "Listen, we reserve the right to protect our interests anywhere in the world with military force. <laughs> Fuck you. We'll we'll go anywhere, do anything to preserve our interests." It's basically okay. the Truman right. Doctrine. The short version. I got you. Yeah, yeah. In peacetime, <laughs> in peacetime, peace we will we Fuck will you up. put we will put right. troops, military yeah. bombs anywhere we want if we want to. It- Fuck you. What are you going to do about it? That's the Truman. Doctrine. Yeah, and he finished it off with P.S. Did I happen to mention we have the atomic bomb? If I could, real quick, when you were yeah. when you were mentioning the um, the meeting of the the British and the Americans and the German representatives who were helping to run the zones in September of 1946, just so the Soviets know how serious they are when they get together and they have their meeting, Secretary of State James Burns shows up and he gives a speech. Now this speech is formally called a restatement of policy on Germany. The Germans knew it as the speech of hope because the Americans and probably the British had already figured out, you know what? We need to tell the Germans what they want to hear. We need them on our side. We need them coming with us. And if there is ever a war with uh, Soviet Russia, we will definitely need as many Germans on our side as, as, as we can get. So when he gets up and gives a speech and this is, you know, the, like the one of the top three most powerful men in America, he says, "I we just to let you know, we are rejecting the older Morgenthau plan, which was to turn Germany basically into a giant farm, no industry. We're rejecting that. We want, we need a vibrant German economy. We need the country united. We need you guys on board and running your own country. And, and we want to be your partner in this. So one, the Germans feel great about this because they really feel like they're going to get their country back. Why wouldn't they want that? They're going to get the uh, economic assistance of America. Why wouldn't they want that? And they're going to get the military protection from America. They need that because Stalin is still pissed at them and he's right over there. So Stalin can take from that speech, the Americans are going to do this, they're going to act unilaterally, they're going to roughshod, they're going to ride roughshod all over him, no matter, even though they're supposed to make all these decisions together, Stalin has just been put on notice, and this is only September of 1946. The Americans are upping the ante, and he better catch up to them and come up with his own plan. Yeah, so by the time they announced Bizonia and uh, the Truman Doctrine, really uh, all hope of any post-war cooperation between the US and the Soviets is out. Yes, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's really no hope anymore of that. Now, uh, later in 1947, France decided to merge its state with Bizonia, forming Trizonia. <laughs> What is that? Which is where <laughs> you tr- just where all the trisexuals right. live. Um, you'd like that? It's yeah. you can have sex with men, women, or farm animals, and it's all completely I'm there. legal yes. above board. Yeah. No one bats an eyelid. Yeah, it's basically Virginia. Pretty much. Um, <clears throat> so the merger of those three zones was completed by the middle of 1948. Now, of mm. course, Stalin's worried that the unification of these three zones is going to create. Another threat, a new threat yes. to the Soviets. Uh, at some point in the not too distant future, Germans are going to be bigger and better than ever before, right. and uh, allied with Russia's enemies, the capitalists, and they're sitting right on their border. Um, mm-hmm. The Soviet Foreign Ministry wrote a report for him around about this time that came to the conclusion that the Western powers are transforming Germany into their stronghold and intend to include it in the newly formed military political bloc directed against the Soviet Union and the new democracies in Eastern Europe. Wow. Yeah. So that was the Soviet view of Trizonia. So the Kremlin decided to counterattack using the only advantage it really had in Germany, 
which was the control over the geographic space between the western zones and Berlin, which, as I said before, was located about 110 (laughs) miles inside the Soviet zone. So by the middle of 1948, Stalin decided to erect a blockade around West Berlin. And his basic justification was this. Look, shared access to Berlin that we agreed upon Mm -hmm. was part of a framework, part of these wartime agreements that we we came up with during Yalta and Potsdam. Um, And we, we agreed that all decisions about the future of Germany after the war would be made by this four-power allied control commission, the Quadripartite right. Commission. Yeah. I think that means four. I think it that's the right word. Sounds good. I might have just made that up, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, four-power allied control commission had supreme authority. But now you've just you've just taken a huge dump on that agreement by merging your zones <laughs> without our agreement. Not in a good way. So basically fu- basically fuck yeah. you. Yeah. No, you 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 took a dump on that agreement not in a good way. You took a dump on that agreement. So basically fuck you, you don't have access to get through our zone to get to Berlin anymore, right? So yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is you know, in Western uh, propaganda, it's like, oh, the Soviets just decided to blockade right. Berlin. Yes, but they did that because the West basically took a dump <laughs> on the the agreements around the division of Germany, the control of Germany. Um, and so the Soviets said, well, the agreement's now null and void. Fuck you, you can't come into our zone. That's what the blockade basically was. It was, no, you're not allowed into our zone. Berlin's in our zone. You're not allowed into our zone because you just took a dump on the agreement. Right. So if I may, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but just to back up, not back up, but zoom out a little bit. So January 1st, 1947, the British and the American zones join up. As you just said, France is going to come along a little later. Um, When the... When there's the meetings in London about doing all of this, the Soviets are, are obviously not happy. And in, in fact, in late January of 1948, the British began stopping British, uh, the Soviets began stopping British and American trains on its way to Berlin. So then comes, and I think you might have said this, but then comes the announcement on March 7th, 1948, that the areas under the British and the U.S. would accept the Marshall Plan, and they agreed upon establishment of a federal system of government. So they're moving ahead, fuck Stalin, and so he's got to react to this. So that was on March 7th. Two days later, on March 9th, Stalin has no choice. He meets with his military advisors, and the result is a secret, secret memorandum that it gets sent to Molotov on March 12th. 1948. And it pretty much says that the access to Berlin is going to be regulated by Soviet Soviet authorities. So we can sit here and talk about it, but but Stalin is reacting. It's like the Americans punch him. He punches back and they go, see, 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 he's starting something. I mean, I know that's oversimplification, but Stalin, who is not a perfect man, who has done, who has broken his own deals plenty of times in the past with other people, is reacting to what the Americans are doing because they're going full bore because they know now they know exactly what they want and they're manifesting it and they're running right over him. And they can do it because they've got the atomic bomb. Like, yeah, Stalin, obviously no saint um, and, you know, sort of a masterful negotiator in that he would um, block deals and and, uh, finagle things out of people. Um, but it's very clear, I think, this this whole process that, rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. whether you think it was a good decision or a bad decision, the US and the UK and France had all agreed with the Soviets at Yalta and Potsdam that the future of Germany would be decided by unanimous agreement. Every decision had to be unanimous by the right. Allied Control Commission. right. Um, the fact that Russia wouldn't agree to what the US and the UK wanted doesn't mean they're obstructionists. <laughs> it means that they were trying to negotiate mm-hmm. an outcome that they were happy with. 
but the way it gets portrayed, as you know, in that um, uh, uh, section I read before from the Royal Air Force website, is they were the the Western Allies were frustrated with Soviet obstructionism. Right. No, <laughs> they just wanted to negotiate an outcome that they were happy with, that they could live with, because that's what the fucking four countries agreed to do right. when they were at Potsdam. But no, that's not the way it gets portrayed. And then when the, the, the Western allies said, well, fuck, fuck the agreement, we're just going to go on and do what we want, the Soviets were like, okay, well, guess yeah. that's that then, right? right. Now, yeah. it's like you get, you get married and you say to your <laughs> wife, look, uh, we're going to agree that we're not going to fuck anybody. And she goes, yep. Yep, totally agree. You come home one day, you find her gang- being gangbanged by the local football team, and you go, oh, well, I guess I'll go fuck the neighbour then. And she goes, look, he's fucking the neighbour. I, right. I, 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 I want half in the divorce. Right. I'm going to take everything. Yeah, but hold on, you gangbang. Wow, 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 wow. You fucked the neighbour. That's right. Yeah, but, but you gangbang. Nah, bah, 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 right. Let's just focus on this one thing. 70 years of propaganda. Yeah. 70 years of propaganda then says, oh, yeah, Ray fucked his neighbour. Ray, Ray's a cunt. He fucked his neighbour. Right. You go, but she, no, no. no. Well, if she did gangbang the football team, she must have had a good reason. Yeah, yeah. She knew you were going to go fuck the neighbour, so she just got in first. Preemptive. You were obstructioning. Right. Your obstructionism from preventing her from gangbanging the football team (laughs) when you, under the terms of the marriage contract, it's your fault. You shouldn't have forced her to sign a clause that she wouldn't gangbang the football team when you got married. <laughs> I should have been more specific. Maybe that analogy. Right. But I think that analogy works. I think it does. If, if I may, j- just, to, um, just to add on to something you were saying, yeah, so the Allied Control Commission, the sole legal sovereign authority for Germany, for Germany, the entity that actually replaced the Nazi government that's supposed to be making all these decisions, the British and the Americans ride roughshod all over it. They ignore it. They ignore Stalin. They, to a degree, ignore what France wants because France... As we don't need to go into the details, but France is going to be brought kicking, screaming into the agreement because they, like the Soviets, didn't want to unify Germany. So I don't want to get too far ahead of the story, but on March 20th, 1948, the Allied Control Council meets for the last time, and the Russian representative Vasily Sokolovsky demands to know the outcome of one of the conferences that was held in London earlier in the year, and the Americans and the British are like, well, we're not sure what the final decision is going to be, and so the Russian, probably on Stalin's orders, says, I see no sense in continuing this meeting, and I declare it adjourned. So that's the last meeting of the entity that's supposed to be running Germany for the four major powers, and it's not going to meet anymore, and it hasn't been working for quite some time because the Americans and the British want to do what they want. Stalin is dragging his feet because of his realistic needs. Of course, you can't have any kind of progress. But at this point, I guess both sides are finished talking. It's now time for action. And I think you said this a second ago. What can Stalin do but something like the blockade? It's the only card. It's not even his ace. It's the only card he has left to play. And so that's what he's going to do. And 11 days after that final Allied Control Commission meeting, uh, on the 31st of March 1948, the United States Congress approved funding for the Marshall Plan. Mm. So the Berlin blockade, as I said earlier, sort of became the the ultimate symbol of the early Cold War in Europe. Truman later wrote in his autobiography, for most of Germany... This act merely formalised what had been an obvious fact for some time, namely that the four-power control machinery had become unworkable. For the city of Berlin, however, this was an indication for a major crisis. Mm. Soviet Foreign Minister Molotov noted, what happens to Berlin happens to Germany. What happens to Germany happens to Europe. So yep. this was the beginning, really, of the division of Europe along hard economic lines. Uh, the Marshall Plan, the Soviets then trying to grab the countries that they could into their economic bloc. So they had trading partners, got to be able mm-hmm. to trade with someone. 
Yeah. Because um, there's stuff that you have that you need to sell and stuff that you don't have that you need to buy. If there's no one, if, if the rest of the world's in the Western economic <laughs> block, who the fuck are the Soviets going to trade with? Right. So they, they had to, you know, uh, use what influence they had to get uh, communists in power in some of the Eastern European countries. Then on the 25th of March, 1948, mm-hmm. so uh, what's that, uh, five days after the Allied Control Commission meeting that Sokolovsky walked out of, the Soviets issued orders restricting Western military and passenger traffic between the Western zones of Germany and Berlin. Yeah. They, the measures took effect on the 1st of April, along with an announcement that no cargo could leave Berlin by rail without Mm. permission of the Soviet commander. Each train and truck that was leaving Berlin had to be searched by Soviet authorities. Then on the 2nd of April, the next day, Lucius Clay, who was the general in charge of the US zone, ordered a halt to all military trains and required that supplies to the military garrison be transported by air. Into Berlin. Right. Now, this is what is known as the little lift. This isn't the the Berlin airlift. This is the little lift. The pre-show. You want to talk about the little lift? The little lift? (laughs) Well, I I just know that um, I don't have... If you have specific details, just stop me. But I do know that the Americans and the British pretty much on their own just started... You know, they both figured this out together. We'll go into some of the details of how or why they figured this out. They started figuring stuff out on their own. They start sending supplies. And I don't think Stalin was quite prepared for this kind of response or reaction by the Western power. So the tension is not going to last very long, but they're able to pull together as many planes as they possibly can. Even even stuff like putting a whole bunch of coal onto these planes and sending it over to Berlin to keep the military garrisons there and obviously the 2.5 million people there um, fed and warm um, during this time. Yeah, so basically this was sort of almost a trial run. The the real blockade hadn't started. Right. But uh, the, the, the Americans were already you know, flying stuff in and out of Berlin. And the Russians were letting them is yeah. sort of the point here. They, the, these planes, obviously, to fly into Berlin had to fly over Soviet-controlled territory, mm-hmm. which a little bit, little bit risky. Um, but, the, but the Soviets started to harass them. Yeah. Um, they would buzz the flights, uh, but they weren't attacking the planes. They right. weren't shooting them down. Um, Which they could have done. Because I don't think they want... Yeah. They could have done. Uh, now, whether or not the Western flights was a violation of uh, air, of Soviet-controlled uh, airspace is, is a little bit dubious at this juncture. Whether or not buzzing them is a little bit dubious, is a violation, right. is a little bit dubious. Right. I mean, who had the rights to do what, I mean, depends on who you believe. But technically, if you mm-hmm. look at it, yeah. th- they were flying through Soviet-controlled territory that they had agreed was Soviet-controlled territory. Um, anyway, it was all very messy. This was the, the little lift. Uh, then on the 5th of April, a couple of days after this all started, a Soviet Air Force fighter plane collided with a British European Airways airliner and mm-hmm. killed uh, everyone aboard both aircraft. I think the the wing of the... Apparently, the, the, it's weird, but it says that the, the, the sources say that the Soviet fighter plane was doing acrobatics and I think buzzing yeah. the European Airways uh, flight. Um, and then somehow its wing, the fighter plane's wing, clipped the wing of the Vickers plane... It was a British European Airways Vickers Viking 1B airliner. Um, it clipped its wing. Both wings fell off. Jeez. And um, I don't know if you know this, Ray, but when a wing falls off a plane, um, they uh, they crash. 
They they struggle. Really? Uh, it's a design flaw. A yeah. design flaw in a lot of a lot of aircraft of this period. That uh, when a wing fell off, right. they, uh, oh, the, the plane the plane struggled science. to remain airborne. Right, science. Okay. Well, it was, British engineering wasn't very good at the time. Um, <laughs> the new wings. So yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, they, they, yeah, they need both wings. Both. No redundancy oh. built in, as, as you know, you would expect. As you do. Since I'm about to fly to Scotland, I don't find any of this amusing. I really don't. Well, my, my recommendation is if you see a wing fall off. Right. Uh, panic. Yeah, okay. panic. All right. Yeah. I did want to answer your question as far as the legality of this, uh, which I was going to say for the big one, but ju- just so since you mentioned it. So after the uh, after the war – because of all the goodwill that's going on, because they just defeated a common enemy, you know, Hitler and uh, and, uh, Italy and stuff like that, Japan. So Britain, France, and the United States didn't actually sit down and negotiate a specific agreement with the Soviets that guaranteed land-based rights to access their part of Berlin. Okay, that makes sense. However, and I don't know the details on this, but the Americans and the British, and I guess the French, did for some reason or somehow sit down and specifically sign an agreement with the Soviets about airspace. There were three 20-mile-wide air lanes if you will, um, that the allies, the Western powers had the right to fly through. Now, again, and I, and I, and I, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to be impartial, but even though Stalin and the Americans and the British, they're playing chicken, this little lift, like the other lift that's coming, they're playing chicken. They're, they're playing chicken with men's lives. They're playing chicken with all this equipment and these 2.5 million people that might starve. But they're not insane. They're not crazy. Stalin doesn't order anybody to shoot at the planes and the Americans stay within those three 20-mile wide zones. And if some colonel had lost it and shot at a plane, you know Stalin would have had him shot. I don't know if it would have made a difference because war might have started already. But the point is, even though both sides are testing each other, they're not, they're not psychopaths in the sense that they're, they're not crazy at this point to actually start something. So I think they should get credit for the, uh, the moderation that is being shown. However, they are testing each other to see who will blink first. Yeah, fairly risky uh, approach. Um, yes. But, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, after this, this air disaster I mentioned, the Gatto air disaster, it's known because uh, they the crashed near the Gatto airfield. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the British at first uh, accused the Soviets of deliberately Right. Uh, taking down the plane, Molotov assured the British that it wasn't intentional, and the British accepted that it was an accident. But that, of course, raised tensions between the parties yes. uh, for a minute there. Yeah. Now, as usual, uh, the key part of the breakdown was due to economic policy. Right. Um, as I pointed out earlier, the, the Americans wanted a German economic recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted a strong Germany because they saw that as a prerequisite to an economically stable Europe. Germany had been a, an important source of coal, steel, other goods, manufacturing for Europe for a long time, um, much of which the European countries n- n- now needed to bring in from the United States. It was an important market for their exports. Germany needed to bring a lot of the stuff in from the United States as well. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the, there was a problem in that European recovery had slowed down in 1947 before the Marshall Plan came into, into effect because there was a shortage of US dollars in Europe to pay for uh, American imports. And the Americans were worried that uh, a, 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 an economically weak Germany would again become a breeding ground for mm. sort of radical behaviours um, yeah. that they'd seen in the 20s after World War One and the Versailles Treaty and all that kind of stuff. And maybe this time it would become a breeding ground for communism. And Germany, key component historically of the economic backbone of Europe, right. would become... Would, would, would fall into the communist camp if it wasn't economically strong. Right. So they decided to launch a new currency 
in Germany that would be manufactured and printed in New York. And this was the Deutsche Mark, the new currency, right. um, a.k.a. Operation Bird Dog, was to replace the existing currency in Germany, the Reichsmark, right. with the Deutsche Mark designed, manufactured, printed in the United States. That sounds right. But yeah. But I but I think we should uh, talk about that in the next show. Yeah, it's all about the Benjamins because we're, we're over time. Yes. That's it. Just yeah. yes. That's all you got to say. I concur, Doctor. That's how we're going out. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Thank you.